Hi, this is Stephanie Fitzpatrick. And this is Jonah Trebowasser. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Rotary. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People sharing ways to improve your life. Our guest today is registered nurse Suzanne O'Brien, discussing what hospice patients can teach us. Well, first of all, I want to say good morning to you, Stephanie, and thank you for sitting in for uh, my usual co-host, Sarah O'Connell, who's away this week. And we both want to say good morning to registered nurse Susan O'Brien. Uh, who's going to be talking to us about hospice. Good morning, Susan. Welcome to Radio Good morning. Rotary. Thank you so much for having me here. Our pleasure. Now, what exactly is hospice? Hospice is end-of-life care. It is holistic. It's a holistic model of end-of-life care. Um, it is actually, it's such a beautiful model. Um, I have to tell you what brought me to hospice is working in oncology and working with end-of-life in the medical profession mainstream. We should explain to people what oncology is. You're right. You know, I have a terrible way being an RN of talking in those terms. So oncology is cancer, you know, and cancer, as we know, is is something that a lot of people experience at end of life and does um, sort of take them to the end of their life because of, of the disease process. Um, so mainstream medical care for end of life and oncology was... Um, it was an eye-opening experience how we were treating people medically until the last breath when at a certain point we knew that we could not reverse the disease process they were going through. Uh, in other words, we're talking about a lot of invasive therapies, the, the image of other, the tubes and the needles and all that, that stuff. That whole image, the beeping, the tubes, the... Um, the hydration, the keeping people alive, but the quality of life was not there. All right, and these are people for whom the doctor said, look, I'm sorry, you know, you've cast your chips and there is no hope. Unfortunately, the doctors don't always say that. Okay. And that's where hospice comes in because ho- the hospice model is an end of life where the the definition of it is somebody who has a disease process that if it follows its regular course will be six months or less of life. Now, you focus on the quality of the life, not the quantity. So instead of um, giving somebody hydration to keep them breathing, we say, okay, would you like to be at home? And would you like to be kept pain-free instead of let's try to give you chemo to shrink the tumor, which we know is not going to really extend your life? Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. And and hospice, uh, some of us have an image, myself included, of hospice being a place, you know, uh, a, a nursing home f- scenario but with like comfy chairs and nurses like yourself, very dedicated nurses like yourself, uh, assisting yep. people with painkilling. But you're saying this can happen at home as well? It does. Hospice, and you're absolutely correct on that. The hospice word means host house, and it started that way exactly as um, in England is a grassroots effort as a house that people who were at end of life would come and live in this house together, which I think is phenomenal um, to all be. Because I can tell you that I have an understanding of what you're going through, but unless I'm at end of life as well. However, now most of your hospice care is done in the patient's home and the caregiver is the family. And we assist the family with home health aides, with a nurse that comes in and manages symptoms, medications, pastoral care, pet therapy, social work, in the person's home, and I have to tell you, nine out of ten people want to be at home if they are at end of life with their pets, in their surroundings, and when they do get home, sometimes they do really well. It, you know, it's true, actually, because yeah. my grandmother um, had passed away uh, almost two years ago now, and we had hospice come in, and let me tell you, they were the best nurses, the best aides, and they just gave you a, a feeling of comfort. You know, you know your loved one's passing on, but 
they don't just work with with the person that's passing up they work with the family and you know yes it really helped my mom and myself because my mom and i were really big caregivers for my grandmother when she was dying of and isn't cancer. that a great feeling it was great i loved it right i really really enjoyed it a lot yeah you know i know it, it sounds terrible to say enjoyed it but I did because it met, give, gave us the self of like, okay, Graham's going to pass and this is what's going to happen and it's going to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's important to understand that hospice takes care of the patient and the patient's family, just like you're saying. This is it, this is for everyone. They do. And um, really important when I worked in oncology and, and again in the cancer unit and end of life in the med- main medical stream, I was so upset at how we weren't addressing the fact that we're going to pass away. No one would talk about illness. You know, we've turned into a culture and a society in the last 200 years of instant gratification. Let's just keep living. Let's be youthful. The reality of life is that part of it is going to be that we are going to die. And that is okay. That's part of our deal. So what I have learned from being at the bedside of patients that are dying is that there can be so many beautiful experiences. Um, fantastic conversations with family. They have talked about, you know, seeing angels or past loved ones come back to greet them. They are excited in some sense. There's a comfort that's happening. And I said, if people knew that it could be positive, then maybe we could talk about it a little bit more. And we really need to talk about it because people need to decide for themselves ahead of time what they want for end of life. It's not okay to just get checked in a hospital and have testing if you don't want that. And that's where we'll talk about a healthcare proxy and what that means. Well, there's no time like the present. What is a healthcare proxy? Okay, great. A healthcare proxy is a legal document that allows you to decide what you would like for end of life care ahead of time. Everyone, no matter what age you are, should have one of these. It will state whether you would like to be kept alive on a feeding tube or intubated or what you don't want. And I'll tell you, there's so many positive reasons to do this. Number one, it takes the pressure off of your family. They will never agree. I have been in so many scenarios that somebody's dying. Half of the kids want this. Half of the kids want the other. They're fighting. And the person who's passing away is not getting any quality time because there's so much emotion and upheaval it shouldn't be put on those on those individuals in other words you know one person wants grand to be kept alive Absolutely. at all measures and then one says hey you know enough is enough don't make her suffer correct and, and what does grandma want because this is really about grandma this right. is not about and i'll tell you i have more people those wonderful people in the bed whisper to me i don't want any of this i want to go but they're afraid they don't want to upset their loved ones and mm-hmm. they're, they're very weak to make that kind of decision. Right. So this is a no-brainer. If I lo- Love is, is following through with what the person would want. Like my mom, she wants everything and I love her to death. My dad wants nothing. But I love my mom and whether I agree with her, I'm going to follow what she wants. And it doesn't put the pressure on me or my sister. So a healthcare proxy is a legal document, and you can um, download it from New York State Department of Health. You can just actually go on their website and, and print out a form. So registered nurse uh, Susan O'Brien, we're talking about hospice. How'd you get interested in this aspect of nursing? Or how'd you get interested in becoming a nurse in the first place? I come from a medical family. It's a very good question. Um, my mom has always worked in the medical field. My father's a surgeon. I always saw that what impact they had on people that were growing up, and I thought, that's really important to be able to do that. Um, Hospice, I've always had a really very strong sense of um, like life was okay. Like end of life was a natural part and maybe that had to do with my growing up. My family didn't pretend that you weren't going to get sick, that you weren't going to die. What they did stress is that make the most out of all your moments. 
you know, don't take things for granted because you don't know, you know, we would see. So I thought, and a lot of people now have a hard time with end of life. So I thought, I really need to go there. It's so, it's it's just as important as when you're being born. You need to prepare for people at the end of life, help the family, and let it be a positive experience. You know, uh, very often you, you hear people come to you and say, you know, uh, my, my father was in a coma, my grandmother was in a coma, and I leaned over and I whispered, it's okay, it's time to go. And then they they died. Is that just a remarkable coincidence? It's not. Yeah, tell us about this that. This is okay. So this now, when I got into hospice and it's working with the end of life, like you said, now I wrote a book called Life, Love, and Transition because I said, if people knew these stories, and I'm not, I'm not saying them. I'm going to tell you verbatim what happened at this bedside, at this bedside. There is so much more going on. People will wait till someone arrives or the same thing people will wait for permission to leave and people will wait till somebody um, actually leaves a room so there's there's more going on than we think and also they'll, they'll wait for a major event I know that yes. uh, a friend's father who was desperately 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 ill but oh, waited mm-hmm. until he could see on Skype in the room oh. the wedding of his granddaughter happens all the time and you know yeah. Had a delightful time watching the wedding through Skype, the, the, the telephone yeah. uh, uh, visual part of it. That's beautiful. And that night, yep. checked out of the hotel. Correct. You know, With that serenity. was it. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to find out more about this uh, from our very special guest here today, registered nurse Suzanne O'Brien, who's talking to us on Radio Rotary about hospice, life lessons from a hospice nurse. But first, I'd like to remind our listeners they're in tune with Radio Rotary on the air and around the world by podcast on iTunes and at www.radiorotary.org. My name is Jonah Trebois, and my regular co-host, Sarah O'Connell, is away this week. I'm delighted to have with me Stephanie Fitzpatrick, who is uh, our special uh, substitute guest host and a fellow Red Hook Rotarian. Our special guest, as we said, is Susan O'Brien, registered nurse. We're talking about hospice. And Stephanie, who brings us Radio Rotary this week? Radio Rotary is sponsored by Rotary International, Rotary District 7210, and the Rotary Clubs of Congress Valley Cottage, Highland, Hyde Park, Kinderhook Tri-Village, Middletown, Millbrook, New City, New Windsor, Cornwall, North Rockland, Pleasant Valley, Red Hook, and Rhinebeck. And we'll be back with more of Radio Rotary after these important messages. This tree was never chopped down because this crutch never needed to be carved because these legs never grew weak because this child never got polio. Over the past 20 years, Rotary Club members have helped immunize over 2 billion children against polio. Now we are on the brink of eradicating this crippling disease once and for all. But we need your help. Thanks to an historic matching grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, every dollar Rotary raises will work twice as hard to make sure vaccines reach the people who need it to protect the children of the world against polio forever. This is an opportunity to end polio now. Visit rotary.org slash end polio. Rotary, humanity in motion. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. 
Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel. CPAPC is a full-service accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. JGS specializes in business succession planning, including ownership transition, management transition, as well as family and non-family transitions. The JGS staff works alongside you to solve the problems of your specific business or personal situation. JGS is conveniently located on Route 211 in Middletown, New York. To learn more, please contact JGS at 845-692-9500 or visit them on the web at www.jgspc.com. Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel, your essential partner in business. Welcome back to Radio Rotary. This is Jonah Trebowasser. My co-host Sarah O'Connell is away this week, but sitting in for her is Stephanie Fitzpatrick. Good morning again, Stephanie. Good morning. And good morning to our special guest, registered nurse Susan O'Brien, who is talking to us about life lessons from a hospice nurse. Good morning, Suzanne. Welcome back. Good morning. Thank you so much. So for those who may have tuned in late, again, remind us, what is hospice? Hospice is holistic care at end of life. Usually if somebody has six months or less, if their disease process runs its natural course. Right. And it's about quality of life, not quantity. And we're taking them off all the machines, the Absolutely. beeps and the that, tubes. That at and that point does not do anything for them except for allow them to be uncomfortable. Let them be home and comfortable. And as comfortable and pain-free as possible. Absolutely. Uh, Tell us about the pain-free aspect of it. Symptom management is huge to me. You know, I always have this phrase that I say in today's day and age, nobody, nobody should die um, in pain because we have all different ways to manage it. We are so good. It's called palliative care is comfort care. Um, There are different ways to manage different disease processes and different pain management for tumors, for um, with a narcotic but because we've gotten so skilled at that, there's no one sh- that should be suffering. And I'm not saying over-medicate anyone. I'm saying manage the pain to a comfortable level. And that's a beautiful thing. And for those at home who may have someone who is uh, you know, terminally ill from cancer and is concerned, well, gee, you know, I really would love to have my husband or my dad home with me, but I'm afraid I can't handle it myself. What kind of help do you provide people uh, who are trying to take care of a a loved one at home rather than in the hospital? There's a whole bunch of different aspects. Hospice care now has all different models. Most of hospice care is done in the home. However, nursing homes have hospice care. Hospitals have hospice care. And there are some residential facilities. One is in Newburgh called the Kaplan House. And we can place people there if a family is not able to physically care for a loved one our social workers and our team will help get all the paperwork and get somebody placed. Now, you talked about uh, palliative uh, pain reduction measures. Um, assuming that the pain doesn't pain medicine doesn't come in pills and has to be injected. Do you teach people how to uh, give shots? We we can. We try not to inject because inject to me equals pain. However, what we do have is what's called sublingual medications, which is something that can be put in the cheek of the mouth. It does not have to be swallowed and can be very effective and be absorbed. The other thing is we have pain patches that are transdermal on the skin. Oh, like the the, the giving up smoking patches or the one for seasickness? There you go. Exactly. So we put those on so there are so many different ways to manage pain that because I don't want to give an injection. I'm a nurse, and that's the least thing that I want to do to somebody, especially <laughs> yeah. if somebody's already in pain. Right. So there are many ways that we can, but we have to anticipate that someone might not be able to swallow a pill. Right. And so what can we do for that? In very, very small amounts, we can put a pump on somebody and have medication going through an IV, um, but that's rare cases. How many hospice patients, give or take, have you yourself uh, helped out? Oh, my goodness. Hundreds? You know, some, sometimes, hundreds. 
Yeah. Sometimes and- I think about it. You know, I, I just... I just kind of go back and I say, wow, you know, this has been a real journey over the last, you know, 10 years. How many patients and families we have actually affected and helped? And it just really inspires me. I'm sure you've got some stories you want to share with listeners. And one you mentioned was Aunt Flossie. I do. Tell us that story. Okay. I want to talk about Aunt Flossie because it's very apropos to what you had said about people hanging on. And this happens all the time. And when I, when I use examples to people, I say, you know, you have to... You have to think that there's something larger going on than what we think because there's no way that these things can happen. I came on the program. I had this woman, Aunt Flossie. She was 99 years old. I came to see her. She was a tiny little lady. She was, I think she had her own teeth. She was just so lovely. She went right into a deep sleep. She was extremely comfortable, but she did not pass. Now, this woman must have weighed less than 100 pounds, was not eating or drinking, which is very uncommon if you have no hydration to keep going. Her daughter was 72. She was taking care of her. And we kept saying, why isn't she leaving? Is there anything she needs to do? Anyone she wants to see? Everyone had been there. Well, two days later, I looked at her face sheet and I said, she's going to turn 100 in four days. She's waiting till she turns 100. So that so our typical routine is that on call you give them if you think something's going on. The on call nurse, I said, I have a patient who's waiting till she turns 100 and is going to pass tonight. She turned around. She said, did she tell you that? I said, no, not in so many words. Do you know that Ann Flossie turned 100 and at 4 a.m. she passed? And she had been in a, a, a sleep or a coma For the 11, whole time. 11 days. The other wow. story I knew about that was yeah. Sir Winston Churchill lived to be 90. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he had predicted years before mm. that he would die the same day his father died. Wow. And it was the same thing. He had a stroke. He was in a coma for a week or so. Yeah. And to the day that his father died, that's when he went. Yeah. And, and, and his, his daughter tells this story. Um, uh, lady Soames, who was his daughter, was still alive today. Uh, charming lady who I met uh, on another broadcast uh, uh, show. And she said that she whispered in and says, it's your birthday today, Papa. Now you can leave. That's right. All right. I'm right, sorry. It's, a de- it's, a, it's the day you were waiting for. Now you can leave. And uh, that apparently happens quite often. It happens so much. I just had a woman and she was hanging on and I went to her house and I said, what it, What are they waiting for? You know, is she waiting for someone they didn't think? So I said, you need to give her permission. And if there's somebody that she's worried about, tell her that you will take care of that. They did that at nine o'clock. She died. They what can are, hear you. Yeah, they do. They can hear you. But what are some things that you want to tell the listeners that... Um, that you can suggest for them to do. This is what I I would love for everyone to do. Get your information about your healthcare proxies. Sit down and have a talk with your family. You know, everyone's afraid to open the discussion. When you open that discussion and say, mom, dad, or even each other, what would you really like? Guess what? There is so much beautiful communication that happens at that point. So do your healthcare proxies. And then if you have any questions... Call your local hospice. You can anyone can refer a patient and get what you call an informational. Most people are referred to hospice too late by the medical profession, um, and that is a shame. We have people on the program for six days. You can be on for six months, and when I tell you how much great work, I've seen better work in six months than in 30 years with families because everyone gets present, has communication, and has quality time. Let's make the most of that. So you can call your local hospice, and we have hospice here in Dutchess County, and there's hospices all over, um, and just get your information. But 
open up that conversation with your family. And and, and the other thing they mm-hmm. should do is have a will to distribute their assets. And remember, folks, the will is not the health care proxy. It's not. Because the will doesn't become effective until you die. So Correct. So you could put in your will, well, I want this and I want that. As far as medicine is concerned, it's not official. It, it, it's not, but it's a great segue because everyone does their wills. Usually, guess what? They don't do their health care proxies. Do them at the same time. So when you, if you want to kind of go into that conversation, talk about the will, but say, hey, you know what? At the same time, we, we have to talk about the, the medical part of it, too. And, you know, beautiful things will happen from that conversation. And you know. say what you want to say before time is too late. But it yeah. also keeps it so the person who's passing, that they know their family's not going to be fighting over everything. They're going to be doing it peacefully with them as they're passing. And that's what you want. You know, I, I have seen really positive experiences end of life. And what and I said, what makes it positive? The completion of closure, the the sense. And I sat with my a little lady just um, for, for four hours before she passed away last Saturday. And she had a little bit of a, a communication problem with her son. And she said to me, I want to know how long I'm going to be like this because she was transitioning and, mm-hmm. and not happy. And she said, and I want to know what my son's plans are. I was able to go to him and say, these are the things that she wants to know what your plans are after she dies. Have that conversation. And she could die in peace. And she did. You know, and folks at home, you know, uh, sometimes families have little uh, past uh, practices where they are, you know, some members of the family are annoyed with each other. Just because you're loved one is in a coma doesn't mean they can't hear what's going on so don't right. argue in front of grandma absolutely right. don't argue and they can hear you they and so I, I always say talk to them because they're there they're hearing you yeah, say you know, what you want to say yeah, there's, you always there's the old that. story of the uh, you know the, the cobbler's son, uh, children who doesn't have shoes and lawyers who die without wills mm. what do the medical profession do about health care proxies do they generally involve themselves with that or do they just put that off as well there is a that's a great question the Wall Street Journal did an article and it was titled why do doctors die differently and this article article was so amazing. Statistically, most doctors, about 86%, not only have DNRs and healthcare proxies. DNR being what? DNR is a do not resuscitate order. Okay. I'm sorry. It's it's, okay. it's along the lines of a healthcare proxy. But most of them have opted out of any kind of chemotherapy or aggressive treatment at the end of life. They shut their doors if it's at their time and they go gracefully into the end of their life. So we have to kind of really look at that. Um, And I have to tell you from all my experience at the bedside, seeing aggressive treatment at the end at a certain point, it does not work. It does not prolong life. It actually causes more suffering. So we need to sort of gently say, let's let's not partake in that anymore. And the minute we have last hospice nurse, uh, registered nurse, Susan O'Brien. Tell us about your trip to Nigeria. Okay. Well, it was actually to Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Uh, thank yep, you. Yep. No problem. I um, Hospice is a global community, and we all die the same way, and we all deserve the same care at the end of life. And I know when people have the support and the medications here in our country, how much of a difference that makes. And I know in Africa, they have a very high end of life um, and they don't have the resources. So I got involved in advocacy and raising money for them. So I just went over to Zimbabwe and was allowed to go out to clinics, villages and bring medicines to people that that needed them. And it was unbelievable. And if the folks at home want more information about hospice, is there a website you would recommend? Yes, I have my own website that I do my Lighten Up, which if I can give that, it's called LightenUp444.com. And that's the the numbers for it. It's called LightenUp444.com, and it talks about hospice advocacy and Zimbabwe and anything you need to know. And of course, you can always call your local hospice as well in your community. Susan O'Brien, thanks so much for joining us on Radio Rotary. Stephanie Fitzpatrick, thank you for being our substitute co host. Thank you, it was a blast. Folks at home, thanks for tuning in. Join us again next week at this same time for another edition of Radio Rotary. Thank you. Thank you.
this close. After immunizing more than 2 billion children, Rotary Club members are this close to wiping polio from the face of the earth. But we need your help. Thanks to an historic matching grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, every dollar Rotary raises will work twice as hard to protect children against polio forever. This is an opportunity to end polio now. Visit rotary.org slash end polio. Rotary. Humanity in motion. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org.